0: Father, we thank you for your word, and we do thank you, Lord, for your redemptive work on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that while we can take a million steps away from you, that it's only one step back. And I just thank you, Father God, the way that that was depicted so clearly tonight in the drama. And I pray, Father God, that we would just have a deeper burning and passion and desire, Lord, to, to live our lives for you. Now that you've saved us, Father God, may we not just be pew potatoes or couch Christians, but Father God, may we truly be people set apart and sold out for your glory. Lord, we pray for our time in the Word tonight, that you would minister to our hearts, and Lord, that through your Word, you would conform us more to your image. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Well, Exodus 15, and last week we were at the beach, so I'm going to take a little time to review, because last week down at the beach, we looked at something different. But basically, tonight's message is on Israel's response to God's deliverance. They're going to be singing a heartfelt song, and they're going to sing about what God has done for them. They're going to sing about who God is. They're going to sing about what He's done and what He's yet to do. We'll also see a clear contrast between God's judgment upon Egypt and His deliverance for Israel, and then we'll see a song of Miriam as she cries out to the Lord and sings to the Lord. And then lastly, we'll see them as they step out into the wilderness. But what I want to do is just catch up real quick, especially if you're new here tonight. Uh, If you're new, I just want you to know you're welcome. God bless you. I'm really glad you're here. And the great thing about the body of Christ is that we're all one body, amen? So no matter where you go to church, we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we're just glad you're here, and we're going to be together forever in heaven, so we might as well get used to each other now, amen? We might as well start loving on each other now. So how do we get to this point where we're at tonight in Exodus 15, as we're going to see them start to sing a song unto the Lord? God's people had endured over 400 years of bondage, and the reason they had endured the bondage is because of their disobedience to God. It was in the midst of this heavy bondage that Israel in desperation cried out to the Lord. They cried out to be delivered from bondage from Egypt. As we've been talking about week after week, that bondage is a picture of sin and Egypt is a typology of the world. So God sent a deliverer to deliver them out of bondage and out of sin. Much like we saw in the drama tonight, there was a deliverer that was sent and that deliverer was Moses. And as bondage is a picture of sin and as Egypt is a picture of the world, Moses is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. He's the one that came to set the captives free from the bondage that they were in, that they deserved to be in. So Egypt's response, or Pharaoh's response to Moses when he showed up was, who is this Lord that I should obey him? I don't believe in this Lord of yours. I don't believe in this God of yours. I'm not going to obey what you tell me. And so we know that God revealed this power and revealed just who he was to Pharaoh by releasing 10 heavy duty plagues upon Egypt. The plagues were the water into blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, livestock diseased, boils, hail, locusts, and eventually darkness. But the last of all the plagues was where we get Passover from. And that was when the Lord, and again we saw it so clearly tonight, when the Lord painted a picture of the cross. And what they did is they had to take a firstborn spotless lamb, they had to take the blood, they had to put on the doorposts, on the mantle, and it was a picture of the cross. And anybody who had that firstborn spotless lamb's blood, the angel of death would pass over. Those who did not would face the judgment of Almighty God. So Passover pointed to Jesus, and it brought deliverance for the Egyptians from bondage. So now after their bondage, they've been released finally after 400 years, and they're going to head to the promised land. And we talked about the fact that the promised land, if you were to walk straight from from where they were in bondage to the promised land, it was an 11-day journey. But God had mapped it out that they were going to spend a year in the wilderness, their wilderness training, if you will. And you know what? The thing that happens a lot of times in our life, happened in their life, because of their disobedience, one year where the wilderness training became 40 years where the wilderness training. Why? Because they disobeyed and dishonored God. And it's one thing to get the people out of Egypt, but the reason they had to wander in the wilderness, is they had to get the Egypt out of the people. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we give our life to Jesus Christ and we're out of the world. The Bible says we're new creations in Him, but we've got to get the world out of us. We've got to be conformed to His image. We've got to go through that sanctifying process. So on their trip out into the wilderness, their first stop was a place called Sukkoth. Looked at this two weeks ago, and the direct translation of that is tent town. And so the first place they stayed was a tent town. And why is that? Why did they stay in tent town? It's a picture to us that we are simply passing through this life. They only carried what was on their back. They went into tent town. Our our bodies are just tents, and we're just passing through. Their stop. The second place they stopped was a place called Ethan. It's at the edge of the wilderness. They're out in the middle of nowhere. But Ethan means with them. So even though they were on the edge of the wilderness, God was with them. The third stop that they had, we saw this two weeks ago, they camped between Piahiroth and Migdal. Piahiroth is a name for a mountain, and Migdal means tower. And then behind them was the Red Sea, and coming for them in the midst of this boxed-in situation was Egypt. As soon as they left, the people cried out to Pharaoh and said, Why have you let our bricklayers go? Why have you let those who served us go? We need to go back and get them. And so Egypt had one last thing that they held on to as being their strength, and it was their army. So they mounted up their chariots, and they sent them fleeing out after the Israelites, who from the world's perspective were very, very defenseless. So the Israelites are now encamped, and they've got a mountain on this side and a mountain on this side, and the Red Sea behind them, and now they look up, and they see the dust of the chariots charging after them, and they feel like they're lambs waiting to be slaughtered. We know that they respond with, with fear and anxiety. They said to Moses, because we, we had no graves in Egypt, have you taken us out to die in the wilderness? It would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. So often as Christians, you know, people think it's a cruise ship to heaven, and we think that everything's going to be perfect when we give our life to Christ. And when the first trial comes along, we say, well, man, maybe I'd just better if I'd stayed in the world. And that's what these guys did. It's a place of desperation. There was, they had no hope. It seemed like all was lost. But you know what's great, you guys? When there is no hope, when it seems like there's no way out, there's one way out, and it's Jesus Christ. Amen? There's one way, there's one direction, there's one path, and you know what? The Bible talks about the peace that surpasses all understanding, not the peace that comes from understanding, the peace that comes when it doesn't make any sense from a worldly perspective. So Moses said to them, do not be afraid, stand still and you will see the salvation of the Lord. So they're in this box so that they might see the mighty hand of God. They're surrounded on every side, and we know what happened. He lifted up the rod, and when he lifted up the rod, the sea was parted, and they walked through. Now, it's interesting to note that the sea was parted when the rod was lifted up. Rod being made out of what? Wood, a typology of the cross. So when Jesus was lifted up, the sea was parted for us, amen, that we might enter into eternal life. And so they crossed through the sea, and we know that that judgment also came. That same rod that opened up the sea and brought deliverance for Israel is the same rod that brought the sea down and it crashed in upon all the Egyptians. The cross of Christ is a stone of offense for those who do not know Him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that it is foolishness to those who are dying in their sin, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The same cross that delivers the believer is judgment for the unbeliever. Amen? So those of us, we either accept the cross or we reject it. And the Egyptians, that same rod came down and brought judgment upon Egypt, and they were all wiped out. So that brings us to where we are this morning, or this evening, excuse me. And and here's what happens. They get to the other side. They turn around and they see all the chariots. You know, all the Egyptians are doing the dead man float, right? Like that teenage song, that youth group song. They're all doing the dead man float. All the chariots are gone. They're all dead. They're in safety now. And how do they respond to this deliverance? And how should we respond having been delivered from sin and death? How should we respond like the person in the drama tonight? We should respond with rejoicing. And so that's how they're going to respond to God's deliverance. Let's begin in chapter 15, verse 1. And it says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord, and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. Now, They sang a song. Now what's significant about this is this is the first song recorded anywhere in the Bible. This is the first time we see worship. And they're worshiping, why? Because they've been delivered. Because they've been delivered, because they've been set free, because they've been, they they were all boxed in, it looked like they were dead on a doornail, and God snatched them out of it and delivered them. Israel had been groaning and crying and grieving, but God delivered them, and now a song filled their heart. And we too have been saved. And a song of joy and praise and worship ought to come out of our hearts. The Bible says out of of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. Words don't slip out of your mouth. Oh, that slipped out. No, it didn't. That's your heart. What's in your heart comes out of your mouth. And you know what? If you're in love with Jesus, you can't help but talk about Him. You can't help but be excited about the things of God. You can't help but worship Him. And you know what i found to be true, at least in my life? Some of my sweetest worship time can be driving in my car. So my sweetest worship time is just me and him alone, and I'm lifting up my voice and I'm telling him how much I love him. Well, they've been delivered, and they start crying out to the Lord, and they're praising him and worshiping him. It's both the first song in the Bible. What's interesting to me about this song is it's referred to four times. The song of Moses is referred to four times in the Bible. It's also the last song that is pointed to in the Word of God. In Revelation 15, 3, they're not at the Red Sea, but they're around the Crystal Sea in heaven. And it says that they're speaking of the saints in heaven, that they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The other time we see it is when they're rescued from Babylon and delivered from captivity. It's in Psalm 118. And they start to sing praise songs to the Lord because they've been delivered from captivity. It's also in Isaiah 12, talking about the millennial reign. We will reign for a thousand years on earth. We'll see what the world would have been like had they not blown it in the Garden of Eden. And you know what is awesome about that? We'll be singing that song. So this is the first song in the Bible, it's the last song referred to in the Bible, it's going to be sung in heaven, and it's going to be sung during the millennial reign. And you know what, we too need to be singing songs of great joy. So Moses not only sings about the Lord, but look what it says here, I will sing to the Lord. Here's the key to true worship, you guys. True worship is not the quality of our voices worshiping before men, but it's the sincerity of our hearts worshiping before God. Amen? Amen. So often, you know what, we can fall into this trap of trying to be so excellent in our worship and how it sounds that we forgot what worship is. Worship isn't how good we look in front of men. It's not how perfect and how tight we are on our instruments, although we should do it with excellence. What's really key is that we be worshiping God, that He be the audience. We sing to an audience of one. Amen? Don't worry about what anybody else around you is saying, what anybody else around you is doing, what anybody else around you is thinking. It's all about you stopping, getting your focus on Him, and telling Him that you love Him. You know what? If we worshipped Him from now until kingdom come, we couldn't worship Him enough for what He's already done for us. Amen? And so there needs to be a heart of worship. And the heart of worship, again, starts by us being focused on the Lord. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. You make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's not singing about the Lord before men, but singing to the Lord that really matters. You know, and again, it's probably my pet peeve, but many people will travel long distances and charge a lot of money to get up on a stage and play music before men. But you know what? Some of those same people won't cross the street to to worship to an audience of one. We've missed it. You know, it grieves me when I hear people refer to you know, Christian musicians as celebrities and stars and nauseates me. And you know why? Because we're not to touch the glory. Amen? All music and worship should be for whose glory alone? God's. Amen? For God's alone. No what? nobody else. We don't, we shouldn't be asking for, I mean, it just kind of grieves me. Why? Because we're making celebrities out of people who are supposed to be entering us into the presence of God. The greatest worship leaders in the world are transparent. Amen. I never forget what John Corson said. John Corson said when he was young going to Biola that they had all these great guest speakers all the time. And they had one guy come in who was very well known and the guy used a lot of stories. A lot of stories when he when he taught. And when they went back all they could talk about in their dorm was how many stories this guy knew. Man, he was so eloquent with his stories. Then another guy came in and he just, with, he exegeted and knew the Greek and knew so many languages. They were all blown away by how much he knew of all the different languages and how he could dissect every word and how incredible it was. And they talked for hours about that. Then Chuck Smith came and he taught about the love of God. And he said, we went back to our dorms and we talked about the love of God. They didn't talk about Chuck Smith, they talked about the love of God. The best worship leaders are transparent. And you know what, that's worship. Singing to an audience of one honoring Him, glorifying Him, getting our eyes on Him. And that's what, we should be, that's what we should be doing, not looking to men, but looking to God alone. Musicians often want the spotlight when it should shine only upon the Lord. Again, touch not the glory. So they're singing to the Lord. That's the right place to be. And what are they singing to the Lord? What are they singing? They're going to sing of what He is. Look at verse 2 and 3. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is His name. So who is He? He's my strength. You know what? You would never know it looking at me now, but I used to be into bodybuilding at one point in my life, and I used to live in the health club. And you know what? A lot of times the Bible says that a a young man's joy is in his strength, but your strength will pass away. Our strength needs to be the Lord. Amen? Our hope needs to be in the Lord. He is my strength. It also says there, that he's my song, he's the joy of my heart, he causes me to worship, and he is my salvation. It's interesting to me that the word there for salvation is Yeshua. What does that word also mean? What does it mean? Jesus. The Lord is my Jesus, the Lord is my salvation, that's who Jesus is. The Lord is my Yeshua. He says, my God and my Father's God. He identifies him as their God. A personal, intimate relationship, not a distant, faraway God. I've told you the story of being in Russia and, and witnessing to this this guy who was the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, and he was talking about how you Americans are crazy because you think God is nearby, but God is far, far away, and He doesn't even have time for us. And this old Russian lady, who was probably in her 80s, who was my interpreter, said to the Russian Orthodox priest, excuse me, do you read the Bible? And the man said, yes, I read the Bible. She said, what is one of the names for God? It's Abba Father. And Abba Father means Daddy. And Daddy is never far away. Amen? Daddy is someone whose lap you can crawl up into and draw near. And so this God they're singing to, He's my Lord, my God, my salvation. He's my, my Father's God. He's my God. And He's my intimate God. I have an intimate, personal relationship with Him. The world is looking for a God, and they make their own gods, but our God is not a faraway, distant God. He's our Heavenly Father who loves us so much that He desires to have that intimate relationship. It says, I will exalt Him, and I will praise Him. Joyous worship is in response to who God is and what He's done for us. And we exalt His name. We lift up His name. We magnify His name. He's the only focus. He's the only one that matters. It's all about him. unfortunately in many churches today it's becoming all about men you know we got to preach a man-centered gospel we've got to have a, a real charismatic guy teaching the bible we want to have sermonettes for christianettes because we don't want to offend anybody we got to dial it down we got to take jesus out of there don't talk about sin and we've turned away from the truth of the gospel it's all about jesus amen and if you see any ministry where they got a man's name run away quickly because it's not about a man it's about the lord Verse 3 says, the Lord is a man of war. The word for Lord there is Jehovah. It's his personal proper name. A man of war. We've been looking at Luke on Sunday mornings. And at Luke it says that he is, a, Jesus came to divide. You know what? The Lord, when he came, he brought division. Why? Because those who followed him became new creations in Christ. And those who didn't remain dead in their trespasses and sins. Now does the Lord love every man? The answer is yes. Did he die for every man? The answer is yes. But, are there those who are going to reject him? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. And those who reject him are divided from those who accept him as Savior. Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. The Bible says, you're either for me or you're against me. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we need to put it all into his hands. He's the great and the awesome God. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. It's in him whom we trust. The next few verses, we're going to see the things that he has done. He's destroyed the enemy, and he's delivered his people. Look at verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. He has chosen captains also who have drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them, and they sank to the bottom like a stone. Now, it's interesting that the greatest and most fierce army in the world drowned in the same place where Israel was delivered. The most mighty army on the planet was wiped out in the very same place where Israel was delivered. Why? Because of their rebellion, and we're going to see in a minute, and their disobedience. It's interesting to say that, see that they sank like a stone. Their sin had hardened their hearts like a stone. They were hard-hearted, and they sank like a stone. I believe this is where the term people use, they sank like a stone. I, it came right out of this verse right here. They sank like a stone. Why? Because their hearts were hard. Because they denied the true and living God. And they sank to the bottom like a stone. Verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy to pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You set forth your wrath, it consumed them like stubble. Now, it's interesting to note that God is a God of love and grace and infinite mercy, but He is a God of wrath. But let me explain to you what wrath means. When we think of wrath, we think of uncontrolled anger, when someone just blows a head gasket and just starts going off, right? Totally out of control. Well, that's not... God's wrath. God's wrath can be defined this way. It is a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to God's will or God's nature. It's a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to God's will and God's nature. And God brought wrath upon those who rejected Him. And notice here that who defeated the enemy. It didn't say our right hand. It says His right hand. God's right hand defeated the enemy, not the right hand of any man. So often we want to be the ones to come in and swoop down and bring vengeance. I know that there's times in my own life where I see things happening to my family and I want to be the one to take the vengeance. But the reality is, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's His strong right hand that will bring the people into submission and will bring vengeance. It's interesting also to note, the Bible says the battle belongs to the Lord. And where is Jesus seated right now? Where is He seated? At the right hand of the Father. And it is the, his mighty right hand that will bring the enemy under toe. Verse eight. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together, and the flood stood upright like a heap. And the depths of the, and the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. It's interesting to note the word here for blast is ruah, and where we get the word breath or wind. Where when he breathed into Adam, when he gave life, it was the word is ruah. And the same thing is here. It says that by the by his breath. What did he do? The waters were gathered together. So by his breath alone, he delivered the people through the Red Sea. He just simply breathed. It says in Exodus 14, 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. What caused the wind? The breath of God. So God breathed, and the sea opened. But look at verse 9 and 10. We're going to see the famous last words of the Egyptian army. And we're going to see what they're based on. Notice, notice a common word we're going to see here. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Now, it's interesting that the, at least in English, the middle letter in the word sin is I. Amen? And what do you see here? You see that it's i And you know what? Most of us, that's a problem we all struggle with to a certain extent. We are so focused on ourselves all the time. You know, I've told you guys this before. Nobody is thinking about you right now. You know, we always sit there thinking everybody's thinking about us. Nobody's thinking about you. You're always on your mind, but no one else in here is thinking about you, right? Amen? And we're just just so focused on ourselves. And we're self-centered, and it's all about me. And I can prove it to you because if I took a picture of this room right now, I snapped it off, and then I handed it out and had you guys look at it, whose picture would you look for first right Wouldn't you look for yourself and if you look good it'd be a good picture everybody else can be looking all goofy and dorcas, but you'd be like oh this is sweet look at that that's a nice picture i want a copy of this because you look good right now if everybody else looked perfect and you were like you know had your finger in your nose or something you'd be like this picture's weak you'd be like tearing it up why because it's all about you and you know what was wrong with Egypt? It was all about them. I will pursue. I will chase them down. I'll catch them. I'll destroy them. I'll draw my sword. Now, let me ask you a question. Has your language ever sounded like that? Anything like that ever been coming out of your mouth? I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do it. You know, as Christians, we should never say, I'm going to do anything. We should say, if the Lord wills, then I'm going to do this. Amen? We should be so focused on His will, not ours. Get this I-itis out. And these guys are all focused on I, I'll pursue, I'll overtake, I'll divide the spoil, I'll draw my sword. The Bible says that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Confidence in self leads to destruction, faith in God leads to salvation. And notice what happens, look at verse uh, 10. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. So what happened to, I'm going to divide, I'm going to conquer, I'm going to be the one, I'm in charge, I'm the strong one, I'm the... And when the Lord went, whoop, whoop, they all died. Just like that. Isn't it amazing that God can just just breathe and wipe out an entire army? You know what, aren't you glad you're on God's side? Amen? You know, God. You know people always talk about that. I was a youth pastor, most you know, for many, many years. And kids used to talk to me about their homies. Oh, my homie got my back, my, you know, my homie, they're going to hook me up. They're going to take care of me, they're watching for me. I'm like... Could you stop it? My best friend, my homie, is a creator of the universe. Does it get any better than that? Amen? You want to talk about having someone having your back? How about someone who could breathe and the entire Egyptian army gets wiped out? I want him on my side. Amen? If God is for us, who can be against us? What do we have to fear or worry or faint about? Nothing. Why? Because our God is in control. Our God is faithful. We can trust in him. You know what? I wonder if Pharaoh, as he was sinking to the bottom, finally figured out who the Lord was. You remember what his first question was? Who's the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I think I know who he is now, right? He's sinking like a stone to the bottom of the sea. And now he's figured out who Almighty God is. Now look at this. This is worship. They said, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? How many gods did Egypt have? We've talked about this. You have been listening. How many? Who remembers? Who remembers? Oh, come on. Over 300, remember? They had a god of the boils, a god of hail, a god of frogs, a god of flies. I mean, they had all these gods. And you know what? They're gods, and every one of the plagues was attacking one of their gods. Remember how we talked about that? They had a frog god, and they used to wear these frog pendants. And all of a sudden, now they got frogs everywhere. Thanks for the frog god. That ain't working out too well. They had a god, you know, they had all these different gods, and their gods kept failing, but the true and living god was victorious. And so he said, Who is like you among the gods? All these other false gods, they're toast. Why? Because they're all dead. Amen? Buddha dead, Hare Krishna dead, Muhammad dead, Joseph Smith dead, Mary Baker Eddy, all dead, but Jesus Christ, the risen living Savior, who's triumphed over sin and death. And so he says, who is like you? There's no one else like you. Now remember, they're singing this song. They sang the song about the Egyptians sinking like a stone. That was a song. That's part of the song. That's a verse. And the Egyptians sank like a stone to the bottom of the sea. You know, they're singing, and they're happy about this. Because why? They've been in bondage to him for 400 years, and they're pretty stoked that they were doing the dead man float. But now they say, who is it like you, O Lord? Who is like you? There's no one like you. We praise you, we worship you, we magnify, we lift up your name. Who is like you? Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. You know what I love about our God too? Our God is the only God who can claim to be holy. Amen? Sinful man, as we saw in the drama tonight, was separated from a holy God. Right? Remember the wall? That's what sin does. Sin puts a wall between holy God and sinful man. But there's only one thing that can restore sinful man back to holy God. And it cannot be another sinful man. I don't care how many men die for you. If they're sinners, they can't pay for your sin because they've got their own sin to pay for. Amen? Only a holy God, only a holy Savior can restore a sinful man back to a holy God. And that's why Jesus came and suffered and died people who follow muhammad he was a sinner people who follow joseph smith he was a sinner all have come short of the glory of god there's only one who didn't sin and that was jesus christ and that's why he's the only one that can fill the gap and bridge the gap between man and god you stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them god just stretched out his hand and wiped out their enemy verse 13 you and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed you have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation not only did God, lead, the Lord, destroy the enemy, but he mercifully redeemed his people and led them to a holy habitation. The application is our Lord has triumphed over sin and death. He's redeemed us through his shed blood upon the cross. And one day he's going to come back and take us to heaven. Amen? One of my favorite statements, most of you guys know I still work full time. And right now there's all kinds of weird stuff going on at work. Talk of a strike and everybody's all tight and tense. And people say to me, what's that? I say, Jesus. Right? Amen? And I love to say, you know, what's that? We're going to heaven right? Because no matter what happens, are we going to heaven? Amen? It's not a hope so. It's not I think. It's not I might. We're going. Why? Because God said so. Because Jesus said so. Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved in the glory of the Father. And that's a promise. So we're going. We're heaven bound like DC Talk says, right? We're going to heaven. And praise the Lord for that. And we can rest in that. We can have peace in that because he has redeemed us. So the people whom you have redeemed and you guide them in your strength. To your holy habitation. So they've talked about who he is, the Lord, my strength, my song, my salvation, and my God. They they sing about what he had done. He defeated their enemy and he delivered them from bondage, just like he defeated our enemy, Satan, and he delivered us from the bondage of sin. Now we're going to see what he's going to do in the future. Look at verse 14. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Felicia. That's the Philistines. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. So what will happen? That in the future he's promised them that he will give them victory as they go out against their enemy. Why are they going to have victory? Because God is victorious. Amen? Only those who are on his side will have victory. But can you imagine when they find out that little Israel with no army smoked all the Egyptians? Do you think that the Philistines are going to want to fight with them? You know what happened? They're going to go, Whoa, their God's pretty awesome. And they believed in gods. They're like, man, their gods smoked all 300 Egyptian gods. And did you hear Pharaoh? They're all floating in the sea. Oh, man, we don't want to mess with Israel. Let them go by. You know, can you imagine as they were going through on, oh, let's just, we're, we're going to go home and lock the door and just pretend like we don't see them. That's what, that's what it says in the text. Why? Because the God, our God is so awesome that it brought fear into the hearts of those who tried to battle against him in the flesh and struck fear in all of Israel's enemies, these mighty armies with fear and trembling not because of israel's men but because of israel's god the second thing that it does along with uh, striking fear in all of their enemies it should also increase the faith and expectations of those who serve him they were singing about a victory that hadn't happened yet shouldn't we as believers just know that god is victorious amen when we're battled in and the the walls are around us and the sea's behind us and it looks overwhelming shouldn't we be rejoicing even then We're going to see that Israel's faith is not that strong yet because they rejoice when things are good, but when things get bad, we're going to see them go right back to murmuring again. And this is going to be a common theme throughout Exodus. They're going to rejoice when things are good and they're going to murmur when things are bad. And you know what? That's not the way the life of a Christian ought to be. Amen? Doesn't the world do that? Doesn't the world do the very same thing? Aren't they stoked when things are good? Don't they walk around with smiles on their face? But as Christians, what should set us apart is we should have joy no matter what's going on in the physical. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 2, to set your mind on things above and not on things of this earth. When my mind's on heaven, there's nothing this world can do to me that'll take the joy away from me. Amen? And the problem was with Israel is we're going to see that they're going to fall real quickly. Look at verse 17 and 18. You will bring them in and plant them in your mountain of your inheritance, in your place, O Lord, which you made. For your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. What are they singing about here? They're singing about heaven. And who made heaven? It says it right there. In the place, O Lord, which you have made. Where is Jesus right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? What's Jesus doing? He's preparing a place for us. And they're singing, praising the Lord, that he's preparing a place for them. You're going to endure forever. Man, that's a lot to sing about. And their their hearts and their mind, their focus is in the right place. We're going to see it's not going to last for long. Look at verse 19. A clear description between those who, or contrast between those who face God's judgment and those who are delivered from it, his children and his enemies. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land into the midst of the sea. So what is the difference between the chariots and Pharaoh and Egypt and Israel? One of them put their faith in God and the other one said who is the Lord? If you're here tonight, there's one thing that'll happen that will keep you that will determine whether or not you're going to heaven. And it's not how much how good your grades are, it's not how much money you have, it's not how clean-shaven or nice you are. It's not even if you obey your parents or not, although you should. It's not it's not about any of the good works that you do. Because when you stand before Almighty God one day, and He says to you, why should I let you into heaven? There's only one answer that's going to work. There's only one. Well, first of all, I don't believe God's going to ask this question. I think we're going to be on our faces before Him in in awe and reverence of Him. Amen? But we're going to hear one of two statements. Enter in my good and faithful servant, or depart from me for I don't know you. There's no purgatory. There's no second chances. You're not going to come back as a grasshopper and work your way back up. None of that's going to happen. You're going to stand before Him, and at that point, it's going to be too late. And it's all going to be based on whether you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you rejected Him. And here's the thing, you guys. No decision is a decision. If you're standing on a train track, and a train's coming at you, and you're thinking, I wonder if I should get off this track. Let me think about it for a while. That's a decision, amen? Because if you wait there long enough, train smokes you, right? And you're, you're splatted all over the place, right? So that's a decision. And no decision about God is a decision. If you're not for Him, you're against Him. And the people of Egypt had decided against him. And it blows my mind that they didn't repent. Can you imagine if boils and flies and lice and, and darkness and hail falling from the sky that's on fire? and I think one of those would probably work for me. Amen? If any one of those happened, I'd be like, oh, time to repent. And ten of these things happen, and they still didn't repent. Then they show up, and there's a pillar of fire and a pillar of fire. They still don't repent. They get in the middle of the sea, and they get drowned. Well, guess what? If they had repented, they wouldn't have been in the sea to begin with. The cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are appearing, but those who are being saved is the power of God. We're either God's friends or we're His enemy. Now look at this. Here's the first example of a woman's choir. It's a fact. It's right here in the Bible. Read it. Look what it says. Then Miriam Miriam the prophetess, and she's referred to in Micah as being someone who was alongside of Moses and Aaron, her brother. And she, she was alongside of them and she ministered with them and she's referred to as a prophetess. And look what it says about her. The sister of Aaron took the timbrel and the, in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. So man, can you imagine this party on the other side of the Red Sea? They're standing out there and they're just praising God. 400 years of bondage, and now the enemy's dead. They've gotten out of this tight mess. They thought they were about to die. Here comes the enemy. Here come the hoops. Here come all the horses. We're stuck. We're all dead. We're toast. All of a sudden, the sea opens up. They walk through the sea. They get to the other side. The sea swallows up the enemy, and now they're truly free for the first time in their entire lives. Can you imagine the joy? and they're singing praise songs, and they're worshiping the Lord, and the women come out, and they got their timbrels, and they're dancing before God, and they're excited about the things of the Lord. Man, it looks like Israel's finally got it all all held together. They finally got their eyes where they need to be. Watch how long this lasts. It's amazing, because roots that are not planted deep don't last very long. They get plucked out real easy. I've seen a lot of people in the 15 or so years that I've been blessed to be a pastor, a lot of people give their life to the Lord, respond with joy, and then not much later, they're right back in the world. And the same is going to happen here with Israel, because watch the response that they have. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now, first of all, I have an idea That as they went out into this wilderness, they're beginning their wilderness adventure, their wilderness trek, their wilderness training. Here's where it starts. And they go out into the wilderness of Shur. And I love to look up the meanings of words in the Bible. The word Shur means wall. So they come down from the most awesome experience and they go, bam, right into it, head first into a wall. And that's basically what happened to them. They go out into the wilderness of Shur and all of a sudden they don't have any water. And now they're thirsting. And now they're going to start murmuring and complaining. And I have an idea that they probably wanted to stay by the Red Sea. I mean, why not stay by the Red Sea? Why don't we just build some tents here? The enemy's dead. There's water right there. This is a pretty good place. Let's just stay right where we are. And sometimes as Christians, we don't want to stretch or grow either. We just want to stay in our comfort zone. It's kind of comfortable here right by the Red Sea. You know, things are pretty good. i got a place to live. There's water right there. I don't want to be stretched. Be honest. How many of you guys struggle with change? Raise your hand. My hand's up. Right? You struggle with it. Why? Because we like to be comfortable. We like to know what's coming. But you know what? The Number one, one of the main ways that babies grow is stretching. Did you know that? That's why babies are stretching all the time. They're always stretching, right? And that's one of the things that caused them to grow a lot. And the same is true for us as believers. We need to be stretched so that we might grow. And they needed to be sanctified and set apart and go through some trials and some testing why? Because without a test, you can have no testimony. Amen? Without a trial, you cannot be a witness to a lost and dying world. It's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship, but how are you going to respond when things get difficult? So it says they went out for three days, and then they came to Mara. They could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, they named the place and called it Mara. Now, this is interesting to me. Three days of no water, how thirsty would you be? Very, right? i I, i'm one of these guys i get dry mouth i drink water all day or something cokes water something i'm always drinking something three days of no water they finally see water can you imagine that they might have dove in what do you think amen they're going there's water right and you got to remember there's two million israelites and poor moses but here we go we got two million israelites and they go out they find water they jump in they grab the water they're lapping up they're getting their cups and they drink it all. and it's nasty I'm not a big fan of like mineral water. One time I, I drank, I thought it was regular water and I swigged down some of this Perrier or something. Ah, that stuff's wrong. I don't know how anybody drinks that. But then, so they're drinking this stuff and they think it's regular water and it just, ch- ah, it's bitter. And now guess what? They're bitter. Oh, it's bitter water. Oh, man, what, what's up with the water? Look at 24. So the people complained against Moses. What shall we drink? Now you got to remember, two million people. They go and there's no water. Now, let me ask you a question. Were there not just ten plagues? Didn't they just see those? Were they there for those? I think they saw those, right? Didn't they see the Passover? Weren't they there when the Red Sea opened up, when they were surrounded on all sides? And God delivered them through that? Didn't they see the enemy swallowed up? Now they just don't have any water, and they start whinging and complaining. Start whining. How would you like to be the pastor of a church with two million people, all of them complaining? I don't want that job, right? I mean, can you imagine two million? million? Ah, I'm ah, 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 Moses, ah, should have left us back in Egypt. I mean, these just guys just snivel all the time. Why? Because they have a physical focus rather than a spiritual one. Here we see an incredible lack of faith. Their faith is so shallow. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think God might have been able to give them some water? Yeah, I think so. But do we see them asking God for any water? Are they praying? What happened to the worship music? Where's the timbrels? What happened to the woman's choir? Where did everybody go? Well, in the water. I'm, I'm singing nothing. Where's the water, Moses? Come on, give us some water. I mean, these guys' focus went from here to here real quick. They lost the sight of God and they put their eyes on their circumstances. And we can do the same thing as Christians. From worshiping and praising to complaining. The trials of life work like an x-ray machine. They reveal what's really in your heart. When you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice, right? And when you squeeze a Christian, you ought to get Christ-likeness. You know, when we get squeezed, we ought to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. It's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship, but how do we react when things are difficult? Let me ask you a question. Is God any less in control when you've got a million dollars in the bank? I don't know if any of you experienced that. But when you have a million dollars in the bank and you're living on a hill on the mountain, or when you've got cancer and they told you you've got two days left to live, is God still in equal control in both of those cases? The answer is yes. But you know what? For most of us, our level of joy would be different. You know what? I would hope that my joy would be better over here because I'm going to be two days away from entering the glory of Almighty God unless He delivers me. Then He'll do something miraculous and He'll be glorified either way. What should they have done in the midst of this trial? Look what Moses does. So Moses cried out to the Lord. Good thing that Moses was around. Because remember, when they were at the Red Sea, what were they saying? Look, you brought us all out here to die. We're all going to die. We're doomed, right? We're all going to die. And then Moses prays and God says, raise up the staff and they all go through. They get to the other side, there's no water. Oh, there's no water. Now, Moses prays. Praise the Lord for Mo. They didn't have Moses around. They'd have been in big trouble. So Moses goes and he seeks the Lord and he prays and look what happens. And the Lord showed him a tree. Now, this is interesting to me. You've got bitter water. Are you thinking like, let me go get a tree and throw it in the water. That'll probably fix it. I mean, that's probably like the last thing that you're thinking is going to be the answer for your problem. And you know what I found to be true? That man's answers are always way far away from God's answers. Amen? We, we sit down and we start trying to figure out the best way to fix this. And especially guys, right? We got that fix it mode. I got my toolbox. What do I need to do? I'm going to fix this. And we start trying to fix stuff instead of trusting God. And we see here that the answer is the furthest thing away from what anybody would have thought. Maybe make a filter or something, and maybe we could filter. But instead, what do they He says, look at that tree over there. And so Moses looks at the tree, and when he cast it into the water, the water was made sweet. Now this is interesting to me. He cries out to the Lord, and what does he show him? He shows him a tree. This is a couple of thousand years, or almost 2,000 years, before Jesus came. It's over 1,500 or 1,600 years before crucifixion existed. What is the tree a picture of? It's the cross. And he says, look at the tree. If you take the tree and you put the tree into the waters, the waters will be made sweet. You know what the answer is for all of us when things are bitter? You know what the answer is when we have no hope? The answer is Jesus Christ and his death upon the tree as we saw tonight in the drama. Amen? It's only through his death on the Christ, cross. May, and you know what's incredible to me? is He took the bitter suffering upon himself so that we would not have to drink of that bitter water. Amen? Now, it's also interesting to me that water in the Bible sometimes refers to the Word of God. In Ephesians 5, it says, Sanctify your home by the washing of the water of the Word of God. It's interesting to me that the water was bitter until the tree touched the water, and then the water became sweet. Now, let me ask you a question. If we only had the Old Testament, it would be kind of rough. All right? Now, praise the Lord, you know, during the time of the Old Testament, they were waiting for the coming Messiah, right? Right? But what is it that made this book of laws and and this book of rules and regulations sweet? What is it that made all of that sweet? It's when all the prophecy and all those laws and all that stuff that, that revealed to us that we're sinners was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament law became something that was bitter and harsh and judged us and revealed our sin. And then when the tree came, when the cross came, what happened to the waters of the Word of God? It became very sweet. Amen? It went from being something that was bitter and that made me realize I was a sinner in need of a Savior, and then when the tree was cast into the water, that same water brought us life. It was a place that we turned to for hope and for life and for the answers. Now, again, we love the Old Testament. Why? Because it points to Jesus Christ. I love the Old Testament. I love every chapter of it. Why? Because you can't read the Old Testament and not see Jesus, just like in the text tonight. So the water, again, pointing to the Word of God. We're almost done. Two more verses. And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God. Wait a minute, let me go back. He said, Then he made a statute and ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. So God tested Israel. If they would walk in obedience to the Lord, then they would not face the judgment of Egypt. Truly trusting God will produce righteous fruit. And if we reject our our heavenly inheritance, then we will reap the consequences. If we rebel against God, how many of you know sin has consequences? Raise your hand. Even as a Christian, right? Sometimes we repent of our sin and the consequences still come. Amen? Why? Because sin has consequences. And this is what the Lord's telling them. If you will live and serve me and follow me, you will not have to reap the consequences of sin. And the same is true for us as believers. Last verse. Then they came to Elam. Now here's the good news. They went from Shur, the wall, to Elam. Elam means palm or palm trees. And you know what is awesome to me? I've always loved palm trees, just ask my wife. It's amazing how I hate ravens and I love palm trees. And I find out later ravens are bad news in the Bible anyway. And then palm trees, palm trees are pretty awesome. You know what they found in the middle of this wilderness? They walk up and what's there? It says, there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. Now, what does that sound like in the wilderness? An oasis. They're out in the middle of the wilderness. They're wandering with no hope. And what pops up in the middle of the wilderness? An oasis. What's interesting to me is there's water there and there's palm trees there. And there's 12 wells of water. How many apostles were there? 12. How many missionaries did he send out in Luke chapter 9? He sent the 12 out and then he sent out the 70 missionaries, right? Now, what's interesting to me is that who are the ones that brought forth the Word? The water of the Word. Who brought forth the Word to the first century church? The twelve apostles. Amen? Here's the water. Again, this is 1,500 years earlier. The water of the Word of God, the twelve wells, picture the twelve apostles. The seventy went out, and it's interesting to me, the palm trees are the only tree that bear more and more and more fruit until they die. It's the only tree that the older it gets, the more fruit it bears, And the only way it stops bearing fruit is when it dies. All other trees bear some, and then when they die, then as they get older, they stop bearing fruit. So this is a picture of the first century church right here. They stumble into this oasis that God had put out for them. And there they found water, and they found fruit. And it's a picture to us as believers that we ought to be gushing forth torrents of living water. Amen? That we ought to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. And that we too should be bearing fruit. That's the way that people will know that we're Christians. He'll provide for us an oasis in the midst of the wilderness. And again, we need to be looking for that. So in review, and I know we went long tonight, so we're just going to close now. But in review, Israel rejoiced over God's deliverance from bondage. They sang of who He is, they sang of what He had done, and they sang of what He will do. But they soon found out that deliverance didn't mean that there would be no more trials. Because with them came bitter water. They complained, they murmured and doubted instead of trusting God. May we rejoice just as much when we're in the lion's den as we do when we're in the palace. May we rejoice just as much when we just got laid off from work as when we got a promotion. Why? Because we should have an a internal focus, not a physical one. More eyes are on you when you get laid off than when you get a new job. Everybody's looking to see how the Christian's going to react when things get difficult. How's it going to be when the water's bitter? Are you going to continue to trust God? May we just stay there. May we we rest in Him. May we trust in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, that in the middle of the wilderness, there's an oasis that we can find in You and in Your Word. And Father, I just ask tonight, Lord, that everything that happened here, Lord, what a blessing, Father God. I thank You for Calvary Aptos. And just thank You for their faithfulness to, to come out and just to bless us with the drama and with worship tonight. And Lord, I just pray You continue to bless that church. Bless the youth group, Lord. Continue to use them for Your glory. Lord, it just blesses my heart to see young people in love with you. When they can be doing so many other things, Lord, what a blessing to know they're practicing to share their faith with others and they're worshiping you, Lord. Just bless them, I pray. Father, for each one of us, Lord, I pray that we too, whatever eyes set on things above and not on things of this earth, that we would not allow the the trials of this life to get our eyes off of you and that we would not murmur and complain like the Israelites, but we would be like Moses and we would cry out to you, Lord, and we would ask Father God for you to lead us and guide us and direct us. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. in Jesus name we pray, and all God's people said, "Amen." Well God bless you guys I know we use. Usually-